So Lori and I got married, oh, going on 13 years this year, right? 13 years ago. And uh, got to know that answer. <laughs> and um, we were living in Iowa. She was fin- finishing up her schooling there. And uh, we were living in a, a funeral home that was um, repurposed. So anyway, that's doesn't matter to the story, but it's, it's an interesting fact if you think your first home was a terrible place. You didn't live in a funeral home. So um, uh, shortly after she graduated, about a year into our marriage, uh, we got a phone call um, from a pastor who was actually here in the Churchill area. And he said, hey, uh, I know you're going into youth ministry and there's this church in the Central Valley, California. I think you should um, chat with them. They're looking for a youth pastor. And so um, we started talking to this church. We eventually flew out there and we went to this. We ended, eventually moved to the Central Valley, California, where I was uh, a youth pastor for a number of years. And how many of you have been to uh, the Central Valley of California? Anybody? So you know what I'm talking about when I say it's gorgeous, right? No, it's not. It's not. It's the armpit of California. That's what people call it, honestly. Like, it's 120 degrees there in the summertime. Uh, it's super foggy in the wintertime. Um, the one beautiful thing is that there are uh, fields all around it. There are uh, oranges and peaches and all kinds of fruit that come out of the Central Valley. And so uh, at certain times of the year, it is actually a beautiful place when things are in bloom or um, when the fields are actually ripe and ready for harvest. It's actually a beautiful time to be there. Um, and, and we loved living there. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. It was a great start in our ministry journey together. Um, and we would often uh, take drives up to the Sequoia National Forest to see the Redwoods. And we would also often take drives uh, over to the beach, over to Morro Bay and Cayucas and maybe up north. Um, and on the way over there, if you've ever done that drive, you drive past a lot of vineyards. And the vineyards there are incredible. They're beautiful. And you would you drive past these vineyards. A lot of them have very ornate entrances and they're just gorgeous. Many of them are gated so that you know where the vineyard starts and where the vineyard stops. Uh, And they produce incredible fruit and they eventually produce incredible wine. And today, this is the uh, backdrop of our story. The story's big idea today is the gospel in a grape field, or maybe the gospel in a vineyard, all right? That was for all my Baptists in the room uh, who were like, don't talk about wine. Um, uh, the gospel in a grape field uh, or a vineyard. Um, we want to we really engage with this really simple story that's going to teach us about the gospel, The gospel is simply this. It's the good news of Jesus. And so this morning's sermon is just a simple gospel message that Jesus has to share with us this morning. And the cast begins with the landowner. The landowner. The landowner here is God, right? God here is the landowner. And like we were heard in the story, like we heard in the text, um, God is this landowner. The picture is this landowner who uh, cultivates this beautiful vineyard. He comes into a certain place and he sets up a vineyard. He puts um, walls around it, parameters around the vineyard. He puts a wine press around it. He, he, it, it it's a place of provision, a way for them to make a living, a way for them to make sweet drink. 
um, a watchtower to provide protection and oversight, that he is looking out for him. And the picture here is a picture of God's creation. It's a picture of God creating the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, says Genesis 1. 1. And God creates this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve to live in, to work, to produce. There's protection, there's parameters. Eat from these trees, don't eat from these trees. There's God watching over them, almost as, as a watchtower over them, making sure that they're safe and secure. And the vineyard has everything it needs to be a successful vineyard, just like in creation. Creation had everything it needed to be successful and do well and to produce. And then the second, uh, the second cast members are the tenants. Uh, the God or the landowner, he puts workers into the garden to tend it, to grow it. And this is where we enter into the story. The tenants are you and me. We are the tenancy. The picture here is that God is the, the landowner. He creates a beautiful creation. And then Adam and Eve enter into that creation. And we enter into that creation. And God says, you are the tenants of that creation. You are to take care of my creation. You are to steward my creation. You are to tend to my creation. You are um, to help provide for one another. You are to um, produce with one another. And so Adam and Eve in every one sense are the tenants. We are the ones that have been given the land to work and it's all a gift. Um, but notice something, whose vineyard still is it, right? This is where some confusion starts into the story, right? Right, Because the workers get into the vineyard and they suddenly start to think, this is a pretty nice vineyard. This is my vineyard. These are my grapes. This is, this is now mine. They forget their place in the story. And the same thing happens in creation. Adam and Eve go and they begin to forget their parameters in their creation. They begin to think things like, when the serpent says to them, hey, eat from this tree. Don't obey those parameters of God. You can, you can be like God. You don't, you don't need God to guide you. You can guide yourself. This is about you, Adam and Eve. This isn't about God, Adam and Eve. Suddenly the tenants begin to forget whose garden, whose vineyard it really is. They start saying things like this. This is my vineyard. This is my money. I'm making the wine sales. This is my life. This is mine, mine, mine. And something that we do, isn't it? We, we begin to see our lives not as a gift from God, but as mine. We've got a sermon series coming up uh, in two weeks. We're going to be starting for Christmas called The Gift. And we're going to be talking about this. Um, we're going to be talking about the reality that we live in a world that tells you, yes, this is your life. Make your best life now. Be the best you can be. It's all about number one, it's all about you. And the Bible teaches that it's not actually about you. It's about loving God first and then loving others second. And then you come in a lousy number three, okay? Right? So, um, and so in this series, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about our time. 
our talents, our treasures, how they all belong to the land owner, how they're all borrowed, how they're all a gift from God. And, and, and the picture that I got as I was like reading this story uh, and thinking about the context of this is sort of this Gollum moment. Any um, Lord of the Rings fans in here? Any nerds up in here with me? All right, okay. Like this is like a, such a Gollum moment where, where they're almost sitting around the vineyard saying, it's my precious, my precious right like they're they're just it's mine it's mine it's mine and and where we actually see this come to full fruition is um, in this moment when the landowner then sends his servants to check on the land right this is a very common practice that the landowner would lease out the land would have them produce a crop and that they would um, make payments back to the landowner based upon uh, their profits right um, this kind of stuff still happens even in the valley, right? Like there are people that rent land all the time down in, in the valley. Um, uh, potato farmers do this kind of stuff all the time where they lease land from someone and then they pay a certain um, uh, lease fee for that land so that they can work the land. But they know it's not my land, it's somebody else's land. I'm just leasing that land. And see, these tenants, they've forgotten their place. They've begun to think that this land, it's, it's theirs doesn't belong to anybody. And we see this when the tenant, when the landowner then sends um, his servants to meet with the tenants. To meet with the tenants. The landowner's servants are our next cast member. Um, in the story, the landowner's servants are simply people that are coming to um, collect upon what needs to be collected upon. Right? Um, think, think about it in this way. Uh, think about... Any property management type folks in here? Are you connected to property management? We got some people that are, you know, a few of you connect to property management. Any of you have ever rented a property like VRBO or BRB or whatever, Airbnb? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Okay, okay, per a couple of us. Um, the, the picture here would be that, like, there's a property. And, and somebody's renting it. This is something that happens all the time here in Big Sky. Let's just pretend we all own a property. And it's right over here in Crow Ranch. And we get a phone call from VRBO saying, or we get an email from VRBO saying, hey, somebody wants to rent your property for the two weeks, Christmas to New Year's. They're going to be there. You're like, great. We're not going to be in town because we don't like being in town when all those crazies are in town. But they're going to be in town. Awesome. And we're going to make some money on that. And so we make sure the house is all set. It's all furnished. It's all ready to go. And then somebody comes in, a tenant, to stay in that house. And really the picture would be this, that at the end of the two weeks, we find out like they have trashed the house, right? They like decided they didn't want to use the chimney. They just built a fire in the middle of the kitchen because they thought that would be Montana, right? Um, they, they found a baby elk and they were nursing it in the backyard. And these are things that conceptually could actually happen here. Um, or a baby buffalo, maybe that's a little more accurate, right? And they put it in their minivan. Um, and and um, they've made a mess of the house. And so we would send our property manager over there to say, hey, we need, we need to get our deposit back and we need to get you out of the house. And upon arriving at the house, our property manager gets beat up, knocked around, and is told, we're not going to pay. And by the way, we're staying here. This is now our house. And sends us back to to us, the landowner. Right? This is something we would just go, are you kidding me? That's, That's crazy. 
See, the landowner's servants are those in our lives who proclaim the kingdom of God. Or in this story, they are those who proclaim the kingdom of God. And this is where the story gets very personal for the listeners of the parable. The religious leaders are standing here at this point, and they're thinking, is he talking about us? And this is something you should always ask when you're hearing a a parable. Is Jesus talking about me right now? See, the tenants um, in the story, they seize the servants, they beat one, they kill another, they stone a third. And then he sends more servants and he do the same thing to them. And this is actually the story of our life, but it's also the story in particular for these guys who are hearing this of the Old Testament. And I want to just give you like a sermon within the sermon for a moment here. Because I've heard this a lot in our church, and I've heard this a lot um, in our culture, which is, um, anybody here like Jesus? Raise your hand if you like Jesus. Like, even if you don't believe he's like the Savior. Do you like Jesus? Okay, like, I think we're about 100% there. You're like, I like Jesus even if I'm not a Christian, right? He seems like a good dude, died for the sins of the world. That sounds pretty good even though I don't believe it, right? Um, How does everybody feel about the God of the Old Testament? Do you love the God of the Old Testament? Raise your hand if you love the God of the Old Testament. Yeah, okay. A couple of you who are Bible scholars are like, I do. It's the right answer, Pastor Brian. And then the honest people in here are like, I don't know about that Old Testament God, right? I mean, I had this conversation really recently with somebody who said, I really love the New Testament. I love Jesus, love the Gospels, love Paul, but the whole Old Testament God, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with him. And see, here's a little sermon within the sermon. This is the story of the Old Testament, right? See, God sets up this beautiful garden, this beautiful vineyard. Adam and Eve violate the vineyard. They sin against God. They say, it's not your vineyard, God. It's my vineyard, God. It's not your garden, God. It's my garden, God. It's my life. I want to run it the way I want to run it. I don't want to be within your parameters. I can do a better job than you can do. I want to be like God. I don't need God to be like God. I can be like God. That's what Adam and Eve do, and everyone's ever done it since. And the story of the Old Testament is this. We think God is vengeful, and that he's mean, and that he's harsh with his people. Um, But that is not the... The story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is the story of a very, 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 very patient God. See, the story of the Old Testament is filled with these guys called prophets. You ever heard about prophets? See, prophets had a really terrible life. Okay? There was Jeremiah. He was the weeping prophet. He cried his whole life because it was so bad. He said things like, cursed be the day that I was born. Right? Like, that's a pretty bad day. If you're, like, you've got to, if somebody said to you, what's the worst day of your life? And you're like, birth. Right? (laughs) Worst day. Right? That's, that's rough, Right? Jeremiah was the weeping prophet who spoke to God's people over and over, asking them to repent, to come back to him, to turn back to him. Ezekiel, he had this vision of preaching in this valley of dry bones, all these skeletons laying in the bottom of this valley, and he had to preach to these dead, dry bones to try to get them to come back to life, right? Um, And he, he had the same message, repent, turn from your sin, turn back to God. Isaiah, Jonah, Micah, Elijah, Elisha, I could go, Elisha, I could go on. There are a pile of them. And guess what? Most of them like got run out, killed, beaten. Like it just wasn't a good day, right? Jeremiah was right. Cursed be the day I was born because it's all been downhill from there, right? That's what it was like to be a prophet in the Old Testament. 
And God sends these prophets time and time and time and time again. If you read the Old Testament, this is all he's doing. Because he's got a stubborn and stiff-necked people. People that continue to turn away from him. People that continue to say, I can do it better than you, God. I'm smarter than you, God. I don't need you, God. And God continues to send people to them, pleading, come back to God. God has a better plan than you know. God understands this all better than you can understand it. God has an immense love for you and is just calling you to come back to him. And you just, you just keep wrecking things. See, the Old Testament is not a story of a vengeful God. The Old Testament is a story of a God who is patient with a, with a stubborn people. In the story, he, he sends servants, verse 35. The tenants seized his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then, instead of getting really angry, the, the landowner sends another set of servants. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. And the Old Testament God is not a mean God. Like, Jesus, or God, God built a vineyard, a garden that was perfect and good and had everything we needed. And guess who wrecked it? We did. We brought sin into the world. Our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, they brought sin into the world. God didn't bring sin into the world. He brought, brought perfection into the world. He made things good and perfect. And yet we brought sin and brokenness into this world. And we know this inherently. I know that we know this. And these people listening to this story, they, they knew that all of a sudden this story was taking a turn. That it was all of a sudden about them. Like we know that we don't even hit our own standards. We know that we let people down. We know that we haven't lived a good life. We know that we don't have it all figured out. We know that. Even if we're not willing to admit that, we wake up lots of us on most mornings thinking, I don't know if I can make it today, right? I don't know if I can make it today. I don't know about the decision I need to make. I don't know if it's the right one. You know, I've been treating that person pretty badly. I'm really confused in this area of my life. I mean, if we're really honest, a lot of us are in survival mode. And so God keeps coming back to us, wooing us to him, saying, come back to me, come back to me, turn from your evil ways, turn back to me, turn back to me. He keeps sending these prophets and servants over and over and over again. And then finally, he says this. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. The landowner's son is Jesus. And see, we like to think we're not that bad, that we haven't messed up that much, that we, that we, wouldn't, ki- we wouldn't kill Jesus. Listen, the sins of our life put Jesus on the cross. This is the gospel, people. The sins that we commit, the sins you commit today, the sins you commit tomorrow, the sins you commit next week, the sins you've committed your entire life, right? David says, even in my mother's womb, I was sinful, right? All 
all of those sins were paid for upon the cross. And so we are the tenants. We are the wicked tenants. And, and, God, and, and Jesus says to the people that are listening, Hey, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what should he do with these tenants? And the religious people are standing there say, He will bring those wretched wretches to a wretched end. I like that, right? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to some other tenants who will share his crop at harvest time. See, when we get into these debates about whether God is good in in the Old Testament or whether he's not, like what we're essentially saying is like, I think I know better. Can I just can I pose it to you? Like let's let's imagine that somebody killed your child. What would your reaction be? Would would you be like, oh, forgiven? Like honestly, parents in the room, somebody comes, destroys your property, right? Mistreats everybody that you know and love, and then kills your child. How are you going to handle that person? What if they did that over and over and over and over and over again? What if they came continually saying, I'm so sorry I killed your kid, and then they did it again tomorrow? Right? What would you do? Right? We, we, we say things like, God's not fair in the Old Testament. How can, he, how can He send people to hell? He's not fair. Listen, if He was fair, what would He do? He would send us all to hell. Right? Like, that's what we should get. We should get hell. Every person in this room, welcome to church. You should go to hell. Awesome, right? But the gift of God is resurrection, salvation, redemption, forgiveness. And we don't, and we don't, we don't dwell in this. I don't dwell in this enough. Can I just like be, I read this story and I'm like, this isn't about my church. This is about me. Like I was sitting with some young, some, some guys on uh, Friday morning studying the book of James. And uh, we were saying, man, would we be friends? Somebody in the group said this. I think it was, I think it was Mike. He said something to the effect of, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Sorry, it's probably wrong, but close. The way I treat God, man, I wouldn't accept that from, from other people. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept how other people would treat me if, if, if they treated me the way that I treat God. See, the story is about these people in here, and it's about Jesus, and it's about the gospel of Jesus, the good news that um, although you are dead in your sins, you are alive in Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the landowner's son kind of just clarifies things for us. Jesus goes on and says this in verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? And he quotes the Old Testament. The stone the builders rejected has become the corner stone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, Jesus is that cornerstone. If you know anything about building, especially back then, 
you got to get things right when you start it. And so the cornerstone was this perfect stone that they would put at the foundation in the corner so that everything would, would be straight off of that, that everything would be strong off of that. And everyone knew that if you didn't get the cornerstone right, everything else would what? Fall apart. So Jesus puts just an exclamation upon this and says, listen, listen, listen. The story is about you. And the story is about you wandering from God. And the story is about you putting a different foundation other than Jesus underneath you. And that foundation crumbling time and time and time again. And, and I'm wooing you back to this. Allow Jesus to become your corner stone. I want three reflective questions and then we're going to engage in communion this morning. So here's your three reflective questions. Number one, how have I responded to the landowner, servant's son? How have I responded to the landowner and his servants and his son? How have I responded? Like, what's your response this morning? Are, are you like, eh, still feels like it's mine. I still want it to be mine. Um, or have you said, it's not, it's not my vineyard. It's not my land. These are not my gifts. This is not my life. This is God's life. How have you responded to the landowner? Number two, what or who is my cornerstone? What are you building your life upon this morning? Like... Simple, simple message, right? Simple story this morning. But the question, what, what are you building your life upon? Are you building upon success? It's going to crumble. Are you building it upon money? It's going to crumble. Are you building it upon your kids? They're going to crumble. They're already crumbling. Hmm. Um, what are you building your, your life upon? Do you have this like picture perfect life that you're just like, if I just had this, then, then it all, it all be perfect. What are you putting the weight of your life upon? What or who is your cornerstone? And third, what kind of fruit am I producing? I see the landowner comes back and he says, Hey, I want, I want some of my fruit back, right? Like, what have you done with what I've given to you? This should be a driving question for us. Out of understanding the great love that Jesus has given to us, then what is our response in a real tangible way? Like, what, what fruit is in us? Like, I don't remember exactly where I heard this. I think I heard it in, in undergraduate. But um, we should all take fruit tests from time to time. Okay? We should all just examine our lives, every single one of us, all of us, right? We should just sit down, look in the mirror, be really honest and go, what's, the f- what's growing in my life? Like, am I growing in a harvest of anger? Because that's not great fruit to bear. Am I, am I growing a harvest of jealousy or greed or gossip or bitterness? What am I, what am I harvesting a crop of? Or... Or am I producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? What, 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 what is the fruit test? And what's coming out of my life? I would, I would just want to ask you um, to reflect upon those three questions this morning as we engage in communion.
Um, communion is simply this. It's the gospel, um, not in a vineyard, but the gospel just right here in front of us. See, the bread that is given is representative of Jesus' body broken for us upon that cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and the Jews. Sorry, I was really tempted to put wine in there this morning. where We don't do wine here anyway. Um, seemed to make sense with the story. Um, represents Jesus' blood shed for us upon that cross, the free gift the gospel, the good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here would be my question for you. And, and I do this, I've done this the last couple times we've done communion. And I want to do this again. Don't be religious right now. Don't do that. Don't, don't go religious on me. Okay. Don't go. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the religious person and just go down and take my wafer and drink my juice. Like, don't, don't go there. Like, what I want you to do is engage with Jesus. Jesus told you this story. Jesus told me this story. Jesus told the people that were standing there this story. Because he loves you. He wants you to build a great foundation. He wants you to understand, well, you were still sinners. He died for you. And this meal is representative of that. So, Jesus, will you nourish us in this meal? Will you bless us in this meal? Jesus, thank you for these simple stories, stories that even just kids can understand, but stories that have deep impact in our lives, stories that teach us about grace, forgiveness, and goodness. God, we want to be, we want to be tenants who turn our hearts to you, who know our place in the story. We want to be those who are fruitful and thankful and responsive. So God, uh, thanks for giving us this moment to respond to you. I ask that it would be a really personal moment for each of us, that we'd be able to engage with you, Jesus, that you would, um, well, we know you're here already. And so um, we invite you to speak to us. We're listening. And we desperately want to hear your voice. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.